welcome to Forum Fedcast, exploring the world of federalism and multi-level governance. Brought to you by the Forum of Federations, the global network on federal and evolved governance. In developing and implementing policy, coordination between governments is a crucial component in the success of many federal systems around the world. Intergovernmental relations processes between different governments are the vehicles through which federations foster coordinated, but not necessarily uniform, responses to governance challenges. Through intergovernmental relations, or IGR, governments in federal systems engage in cooperation and joint decision-making which can help them to adapt policy more effectively to changing social, economic and demographic conditions. The importance of coordination in federal systems has grown over recent decades as the scale and complexity of governance has increased. Complicated and interrelated public policy challenges associated with globalization, including economic developments, the global migration of people, climate change and demographic transition, among others, impact on governments at all levels, national, subnational and local. In federal systems, the cross-cutting nature of the challenges often means that the responsibility for addressing them lies with more than one order of government. And in many cases, the scale of the challenge necessitates a coordinated response across all levels to achieve good results. The coronavirus pandemic is an exemplar of a governance challenge requiring a coordinated policy response. In our last episode, we heard that the extent to which governments in the North American federations have cooperated to implement virus control measures has varied. To deal with an emergency on the scale of COVID-19, there is a need for effective coordination and joint decision-making between different orders of government. IGR processes and institutions play a crucial role in ensuring there is a dialogue between the governments responsible for implementing the response. Australia and Germany have received international attention for their success in controlling the first wave of coronavirus. Both countries have performed comparatively well in terms of the number of infections and deaths from COVID-19. Although their federal structures are very different, this achievement has been at least partially attributed to the different governments in the countries working closely together to coordinate their response. In this episode, we take an in-depth look at the IGR approaches used in Germany and Australia to examine how and why the response to the first wave of coronavirus was comparatively successful. What are the IGR processes and institutions used? What is the culture of IGR in the two countries? And... Are there any lessons to be learned for policy coordination in federal systems more broadly? To find out more about how policy coordination and IGR works in Germany and Australia, we spoke with two experts in the field. First of all, from Germany. My name is Nathalie Benke. I am a professor of public administration and public policy at the Technical University of Darmstadt in Hesse, Germany. Originally, however, I'm a political scientist. I have been doing research on federalism in Germany and the Western world for 15 years in a series of research projects and publications. I have a particular interest in administrative and executive federalism. I have been investigating how intergovernmental relations are being processed in practice. Last year, I consulted for the government of Thuringia on how to reform the structure of the public health service. Currently. I am conducting a research project on policy variation in the implementation of infection protection measures across the German lander. And secondly, from Australia. Hi, I'm Alan Fenner, Professor of Politics at Curtin University here in Western Australia. 
And I've been working on federalism issues for at least the last 15 years. Almost all of that time I've been in academia, though I did work for a year in the Federal Affairs Division of Premier and Cabinet here in Western Australia, which was my one little venture into the real world of uh, intergovernmental relations, after which I quickly retreated back to academia, but having learned a fair amount, I think, about how it works on the ground. My focus is largely on Australia, but I'm also the co-author of a book called Comparative Federalism, a Systematic Inquiry, the second edition of which was out in 2015, and a third edition just around the corner. And that book covers the main aspects of federalism, focusing on a whole range of obvious candidates, you might say, Canada, the United States, Germany, Switzerland, India, the European Union. So sort of balances out my focus on Australia with a comparative reflection. In addition to federalism, I also spend quite a bit of time on public policy as a separate subject what governments do, how, why, and with what effect, and recently co-authored a book on public policy theory. This is Forum Fedcast. To understand how policy coordination and IGR works in a federation, it's helpful to first understand the basic federal structure of the country. The German federal system is fairly complex in institutional terms. While there are only two levels of government, the federal level and the state or lander level, there are also three levels of administration, and subnational governments are responsible for implementing both federal and state laws. The institutional setup of federalism in Germany is rather complex. It is a very dense web of institutions, processes, and persons interacting. Formally, we have two levels of government. We have the federal level and the lender level. But we have three levels of administration, with the local level, which formally belongs to the lender, being endowed with large degrees of autonomy by the basic law, by our constitution. Now, the tasks are divided between levels of government. Generally, you could say according to a functional logic of division of power. That means that legislation occurs predominantly at federal level. Then we have the Bundesrat. The Bundesrat is the lender chamber. The Bundesrat has a strong say in federal legislation. In principle, it can veto every bill and call an arbitration committee. And more specifically, in matters of direct concern to the lender, federal bills are so-called consent bills, and they require a positive majority of Bundesrat votes. Thus, in matters that are of direct interest to the lender, they can strongly influence federal legislation and request, for example, federal co-financing in the implementation of tasks. On the other hand, lenders are mainly responsible for implementing laws federal laws as well as lender laws. In practice, they often delegate this task to the local authorities. Healthcare, specifically, is mainly in the jurisdiction of the lender. Public health offices are organized at district level and financially and personally dependent on local governments. Australia was originally established as a federation with a very distinct separation between the responsibilities of the national or commonwealth and subnational levels of government. But over time, the influence of the Commonwealth has grown within the federal system. Australia is a classic aggregated federation where six British colonies voluntarily united and today are the six states that make up Australia. It's also a classic dualist federation where each of the two levels of government, the Commonwealth and the states, is supposed to have autonomous responsibility for matters within their respective assigned jurisdictions. So in other words, the two levels of government were not intended to cooperate. They were intended to have 
separate responsibilities and to carry out those responsibilities autonomously from each other. So in that division of responsibilities, the states were left with the bulk of responsibility for domestic governance. And the Commonwealth government, the new central government, was assigned a general overarching responsibility for things like ensuring a common market, looking after the national economy, and of course, external relations with other countries. Now, what's happened over the 20th century since Federation in 1901 is that the Commonwealth has substantially expanded its role and influence in the federal system and has come to enjoy a dominant fiscal position. So it has far greater financial resources than it has spending responsibilities. So it's cash rich and it uses that cash to have influence over the states. This then creates a substantial degree of effective or de facto concurrency where there's overlap in many policy areas between the two levels of government in a way that wasn't part of the original design and not intended, but is now the current reality. So in many, many fields, particularly education and healthcare and environmental policy, such major responsibilities of government in general, both levels in Australia are involved. You're listening to Forum Fedcast. The characteristics and traditions of interaction between different governments in federations varies. In some, cooperation is highly integrated into the functioning of the system, while in others, the different levels of government act very independently of one another. There is a long history of collaboration between the different levels and units of government in Germany, which has an institutional framework and IGR procedures that foster coordination. In comparative federalism research, Germany is often taken as the ideal case of cooperative federalism. And I think this is quite correct in practice. The institutional setup, as I described, for example, with this interlocking federal legislation, as well as the traditional procedure of negotiation, encourage intense coordination between levels and units of government. The federal level is strongly involved in horizontal coordination as well, so that basically the lender governments are perceived the federal level not as encroaching upon their powers, but as being a fair cooperation partner. Still, you must see that among the 16 lenders that we have, there is a certain variation in terms of how fervently they defend the federal spirit in Germany. We have the economically stronger southern lender, which typically tend to claim more autonomy. And in contrast, particularly the eastern lender, who are more willing to give up autonomy in turn for federal money. I would not blame them for that attitude. You must see that they lack 40 years of federal experience. And also, even after 30 years of reunification, the Eastern lenders still generate a much lower GDP. So they are really dependent on federal money. And so there is always a latent conflict among the lender in terms of how fervently they defend their autonomy towards the federal level. But in general, especially compared to other Western federal countries, I would say that the climate of discussion is rather cooperative and consensual. In contrast, Australia doesn't have an embedded tradition of intergovernmental coordination. But while it may not have a culture of cooperation, there are nevertheless important examples and practices of intergovernmentalism. There isn't a strong culture of policy coordination in Australia. 
we've certainly had decades of having to practice it, but I'm not sure that there's something that you would call an established culture of cooperation and coordination intergovernmentally in Australia. And that the contrast there is very clear with the federations such as Germany's, where cooperation was built into the design of the federal system. Notwithstanding what I said about questions of whether there's a culture of intergovernmental relations, there's certainly now been well-established practices and arrangements of intergovernmentalism in Australia. And there have been some important developments recently, but they must be seen in that context. For some time recently in particular, it looked like the states were becoming more and more minor parts of the federal system. But one thing that current pandemic has shown is their continuing importance particularly because of their primary responsibility for service delivery within their jurisdictions, for schools, for hospitals, for policing and the law, for regulation, for public service delivery of a range of amenities and so on. So it has showed a little bit of a rebalancing of the Federation. Forum Fedcast is the podcast from the Forum of Federations, the global network on federal and devolved governance. A range of IGR mechanisms are used within federations to facilitate discussion and coordination between governments. These mechanisms are sometimes formal and highly institutionalised, or informal and used on an as-needed basis. Intergovernmental coordination is highly institutionalised in Germany, with various formal and informal mechanisms that enable communication and cooperation. The most prominent institution to promote or to facilitate coordination between levels of government and also among the lender is the Bundesrat, the, the lender chamber. Some call it the second chamber of parliament, but this is a matter of dispute among federalism scholars. Still, the Bundesrat process is very important in ensuring information exchange among the lender and also in fostering dialogue between the lender level and the federal level. Apart from this very formal arena of the Bundesrat, the second set of arenas which is very conducive to intergovernmental dialogue are the intergovernmental councils. To date in Germany we have 18 sectoral ministerial councils plus the regular conference of the minister-presidents or the heads of governments of the lender and the chancellor of the federal government. In those meetings that take place between two and four times a year on a regular basis, a more informal setting is provided for discussing matters of agenda setting on the one hand side and matters of policy implementation on the other hand side. It is not really clear how the tasks are distributed between those intergovernmental councils on the one hand side and the Bundesrat on the other hand side, because it's basically the same persons interacting in both sets of arenas but the Bundesrat is more dedicated to the narrow phase of, of legislation, whereas policy making afterwards and agenda setting beforehand is more in the realm of the intergovernmental councils. Australia also has a number of well-established IGR mechanisms, which primarily facilitate vertical coordination between the Commonwealth and state governments. So the first thing to note is that because Australia is a highly centralised federation, or the Commonwealth is quite dominant in the federation, intergovernment relations are very much of a vertical nature in Australia. That is, it's relations between the Commonwealth and the states. Horizontal IGR, that is, the states cooperating amongst themselves and coordinating between themselves, 
is minimal to non-existent. So that's the first thing to appreciate about Australian federalism and intergovernmental relations is that it's very much vertically dominated. At the apex of that system, which, as I said, is, is now quite well established and has been practiced for some time, are first ministers' meetings, that is, meetings between the premiers of the states, the chief ministers of the two territories, and the prime minister. Now, these first ministers' meetings, however, have been brief and occasional, and also taken the form, really, of summit meetings, you know, highly politicised, a lot about demonstrating and taking positions rather than working through issues. Below that level of first ministers' meetings has also long been a set of ministerial councils covering all the major portfolio or policy domain areas. And those ministerial councils tend to meet regularly and engage in ongoing negotiation work through different issues that flow from across borders in Australia. So between the First Minister's meetings and the Ministerial Councils, there is quite, as I say, quite a set of established practices. And underpinning that is a network of support from senior officers in the bureaucracies of the respective governments as well. The abundance of formal and informal IGR mechanisms in Germany help to ensure that effective lines of communication are maintained between different levels and units of government. We have an incredibly dense and entangled web of informal meetings, uh, conferences, bilateral, trilateral or multilateral relations at all levels of the hierarchy in government, from heads of governments to ministers, cabinets, and down to the working level of the departments. So there is a continuous stream of exchange and flow of information going on between the different governments that ensures that there is this constant updating and knowing what is going on uh, with the others. One final point that I would like to emphasize is the role of parties in facilitating intergovernmental relations in Germany, as we have a rather strongly vertically integrated party system. Parties uh, which form different governmental coalitions in the lender act as a further facilitator in channeling information among the lender and in also in bridging potential conflicts along the lines of party members. Most meetings, to my knowledge, are indeed multilateral so that representatives of all 16 lenders are involved. We have strongly horizontal associations, but we also have some meetings that include the federal level so that are at the same time multilaterally horizontal and vertical. The Health Ministers' Conference, for example, is a horizontal meeting uniting the ministers, the health ministers of the lender, but there's the health minister of the federal government is always on a regular basis invited as a guest. In Australia, for most of the past three decades, the apex-level IGR mechanism was the Council of Australian Governments, or COAG, which was a development of the First Minister's meetings. In the early 1990s, and this is a very important part of the context here, is that the First Minister's meetings were formalised as COAG, the Council of Australian Governments. So it was given a, a rather posh-sounding name to indicate that it was this apex meeting where the big decisions were made. It must be kept in mind that uh, one can't read too much into the fact that it was given a posh-sounding name. COAG was nonetheless just an occasional and brief First Minister's meeting 
typically annual or biannual only, typically for half a day only. However, that history has been punctuated by periods of intense coag activity when it has suited the Commonwealth, when the Commonwealth has needed to push policy in areas where it requires the cooperation of the states. That has had a, a number of pathologies, at least three of which are worth mentioning here, that have been remarked on many times over the years. One of them is the one I've stressed already, which is that COAG is Commonwealth-dominated, that the Commonwealth, the Prime Minister, has always called the shots as far as COAG is concerned, when it would meet, if it would meet, what the agenda would be, what in the end would actually be agreed to. These were all in the hands of the Prime Minister. The second thing is that it was completely uninstitutionalised. There was no legislative framework or even an intergovernmental agreement underpinning COAG So there's a very low level of institutionalisation in Australian intergovernmental relations. The third feature that's been called attention to and been criticised is that COAG became quite highly formal and you could say clumsy in its operation. It wasn't something that moved quickly in which meaningful negotiation tended to occur over day-to-day issues and so on. So those three criticisms are also important to keep in mind when it comes to reflecting on what's happened since. Just as there have been criticisms of COAG as an IGR mechanism, some have questioned the efficiency of the German approach, particularly in relation to the decision-making process. I think there's one very popular criticism that is due to this general large multilateralism. Decisions are usually slow, and this is often perceived as an inefficiency of the system. Among comparative federalism scholars, this is linked to the famous notion of joint decision-making coined by Fritz Schaaf, or even the joint decision trap. What is implied by this term is that once 16 or 17 actors sit together and have to negotiate, obviously the decision that is ultimately taken cannot be very far-reaching. So what is often the criticism is that decisions are being watered down to the lowest common denominator. It's always a kind of compromise involved. It's never a big reform step. So this is common criticism. Personally, I share this criticism only in part because on the other hand side, I think the great advantage of having so many people sitting at a table and negotiating is that the decision that is being agreed upon in the end is really based on a broad consensus so that it can work in practice. And perhaps it is also, well, (laughs) this is perhaps a philosophical question, but if more people are involved in the negotiation, we might think that the quality of the decision-taking is higher than if less people decide on it. In the context of the COVID crisis, Professor Fenner believes the Australian intergovernmental system has adapted effectively to the challenge of the pandemic. So in general, I would say that it's fascinating how well the system has functioned and adapted in the current circumstances. First of all, there's been a logical and reasonably effective division of responsibilities between the Commonwealth and the states. The states have taken charge of the internal management of the situation within their jurisdictions, leaving the Commonwealth primarily with responsibility for external borders, which of course are important in this context. Similarly, there's been a division of responsibilities, kind of an effective division, by effective I mean not formalised, that states focusing on containing the pandemic with the Commonwealth focusing on managing the economy. 
that has been on the one level a useful division of tasks, but also a chronic source of friction. Now, the second thing is the states have been front and centre in a way that is not normally evident in Australia's centralised federal system. They have, each of them respectively, taken significant unilateral decisions on major matters concerning how to manage the pandemic and in ways that have antagonised the Commonwealth. The fact that they have antagonised the Commonwealth has not, however, stopped them from doing so. Thirdly, the whole COAG arrangement that had been in place for almost 30 years was unceremoniously jettisoned and replaced with somewhat misleadingly named the National Cabinet. Now, the significance of this change was that National Cabinet was a much more frequent meeting, a weekly meeting, with a cabinet-like quality, in, as I understand it, as, and having much more real discussion and meaningful negotiation between peers that produced collective decisions. Now, this is interesting, collective decisions that were nonetheless not generally enforceable. So the, the result was a mode of intergovernmentalism that could respond far more adroitly to the emergency, whereas the clumsiness of COAG made it irrelevant to something as difficult, complicated and immediate as the current crisis. So the National Cabinet came on the scene to much applause, both from commentators and from the state premiers. And I think that was demonstrative or illustrative of the extent to which it was a collegial enterprise, unlike so much of Australian intergovernmental relations. Forum Fedcast is brought to you by the Forum of Federations, the global network on federal and evolved governance. In many federations around the world, the COVID-19 pandemic has provided an impetus for closer and more intense coordination and cooperation between governments. In Germany, the existing practices were used more frequently and, as in Australia, new bodies were established to improve coordination in managing the pandemic. Germany had an advantage in having well-oiled mechanisms of intergovernmental relations there was no need to invent new coordination institutions or processes. People could readily rely on existing procedures. This certainly helped to smoothly enter into this process in early March of coordinating quickly and effectively measures against the pandemic. What was new is that in federal government, a kind of task force was created. It was called the Corona Cabinet. In this Corona cabinet, a small selection of six ministers met with the chancellor on a regular basis on Mondays, preparing the cabinet session on Wednesdays so that an even faster and tighter coordination was possible within the federal government. Between the levels, we have the usual mechanisms at work, most notably what we call the Ministerpräsidenten Conference, uh, the Conference of Minister Presidents or the Heads of Governments with the Chancellor. And what we can observe there is this conference regularly meets four times a year. And since March this year, they have been meeting on a two to three weeks intervals. Since the middle of March, they met by video conference because social distancing did not allow to meet in person, but there was telephone conferences. And those telephone or video meetings 
were most important in coordinating the responses of that the lender then took in preventing the spread of the disease. Uh, there were regular communications of the decisions that had been taken in those meetings. And you can directly observe that from the very same day with a delay of three to five days, every of the 16 lenders would implement the decisions that they had taken during those meetings in their individual land. Besides this meeting of the heads of governments, we have the regular meetings of the sector of ministerial councils going on, and most notably here again, the health ministers' conference. They too used to meet in normal times, four times a year, and since the beginning of the pandemic, they are still holding regular video conferences on an almost weekly interval. So you can see that the usual processes and mechanisms are being used, but they are being used on a far higher dynamic and intense rate in order to cope with a very fast development. In Australia, some of the success of the National Cabinet is due to the particular features of the COVID crisis and its coordination requirements. The National Cabinet's been successful for a number of reasons, one of which is that unlike many issues that are dealt with in the federal system, over the last many years, the states hold many of the cards here. So much of managing the crisis lies clearly within state jurisdiction and where the states have the resources and capacity and experience and administrative strength. So that has rebalanced the federation in favor of the states somewhat. And it means that national cabinet can be a place where diversity and unity is manifest, that there's a unified, generally unified approach, but each state can nonetheless go its own way when it feels it's necessary. So it's a loose coordination. That, of course, is often looser than particularly leaders in the Commonwealth government would like, but it seems to exemplify in many ways what federalism is all about. We must keep in mind here, however, that one thing about the current crisis, the pandemic, is that unlike many other issues, it does not actually require a high level of coordination. Managing the pandemic in some ways is about not having coordination. It's about containing and quarantining the problem within boundaries. So the premium hasn't been on coordination, um, particularly because it, to this point anyway, it hasn't been hugely resource intensive for the states. So that's made it much easier, in a sense, to have national cabinet work. There has been one endemic tension throughout the entire experience from the very beginning and very much to this day, which is that the Commonwealth has always been reluctant to take maximal measures to contain the pandemic because of the economic implications, the economic disruption that results. So there's always been this tension between the state's emphasis on minimizing the spread of infection and the Commonwealth's desire to minimize the disruptive effect on the economy. And that's been manifest in various disputes and conflicts, two of which are worth mentioning. One was earlier on about whether schools should close or not and when they should reopen. And more over the last month or so, it's been particularly focused on whether the states who have closed their borders to interstate travel should reopen them in the interests of economic revival. As we've heard, in both Germany and Australia, intergovernmental dialogue and coordination have increased significantly during the course of the pandemic so far. But will the crisis lead to a fundamental shift in IGR over the long term? 
In Germany, the COVID crisis has highlighted the prospect of the encroachment of the federal government into areas typically under landed jurisdiction. I see there is one challenge in the German system, and this is the slowly progressing encroachment of the federal level. This is not a major aspect of litigation or of conflict between the federal and the lender level because the general spirit is very cooperative. Still, in the past 10 years or so, it is possible to delineate a line, a trend, that the federal level persistently encroaches in the administrative powers of the lender by giving more money and requiring or requesting more rights of monitoring or harmonizing. So as a full-blooded federalist, I think this is a slippery slope that we can observe because the lender must be aware of not giving away too much of their power. There might be a tendency of encroachment of the federal government specifically now during the pandemic, and there is some instance for observing this. I'm talking about the Infection Protection Act, a federal law, which was updated in March 2020. This update gave more power to the federal health minister to directly enact disease protection measures without consent of the Bundesrat and also without using lender administrations. So this provision is new and it was agreed upon by all lenders because they rightly declared a state of emergency on March 25. And this declaration of state of emergency theoretically empowers the Federal Minister of Health to use those instruments that had been given to him by the updated law. What is interesting, however, is that he didn't use it. Despite this, Professor Benker doesn't believe there will be any immediate change as a result of the pandemic. Federalism has never been revolutionized in Germany. It's always been slowly developing. And I think in particular in the past 30 years, it has proven a surprisingly stable and efficient. And so I see not really an instance of change resulting from the experiences with the pandemic that there would be a group of actors that would claim that things must change. This infection protection law provides the federal government with more powers than they had before, and it remains to be seen in the future whether they will make use of those powers. Australia has seen a significant development at the top of intergovernmental relations with the creation of the National Cabinet. So, does this represent a long-term shift in cooperation and coordination between governments in Australia? The short answer is no. The National Cabinet came on the scene as what appeared at first to be an interim measure to deal with the crisis. Not long after that, however, the Prime Minister announced that this was now going to be the permanent state of affairs, that National Cabinet was replacing COAG. And I know that a number of premiers have been quite enthusiastic about that, mainly because it gives them much more direct and frequent and open communication and potentially influence over what the Commonwealth does. And the states, of course, have an interest in that. And in some ways, it's certainly, you can imagine them wanting to persist. However, there are very strong grounds for skepticism about the degree to which this represents a lasting change in the Australian federal system or in Australian intergovernmental relations. I would see, and of course this is a judgment call, but I would see a reversion to type once normal conditions resume. National Cabinet will function effectively as a very distinct and impressive form of intergovernmentalism in Australia 
as long as those very specific circumstances continue. And when I say about specific circumstances, let me be more specific. It's a couple of things precisely about the current circumstances that explain why National Cabinet is successful and why I think it won't last. One of those is that it is an emergency, and emergency conditions generally elicit a much more solidaristic response. Secondly, it's not an issue over which there's ideological dispute between the political parties. All the political parties support containing and ending the pandemic. Managing the pandemic to this point has not been particularly resource intensive for the states. And we think of those three factors and then think of a return to normality. So there's no longer an emergency situation. There's the resumption of dealing with ideologically contentious policy decisions. And thirdly, there are big expenditure decisions to be made. Those are what drive the normal level of political conflict and disagreement and where the Commonwealth is in a position to exercise its authority. For more from the world of federalism and multi-level governance, check out forumfed.org. That's forumfed.org. What do the experiences of Germany and Australia tell us about policy coordination and IGR processes in the context of an emergency such as the COVID crisis? In Germany, the frequent and close communication between governments proved to be beneficial. I think what went really well is this very close and dense interaction that was taking place. So we have on an almost daily basis exchange of information, mutual learning, adaptation to new scientific insights also. So that allowed the governments at all levels to react very promptly. I think this is one of the strengths. And also this decentralized implementation of measures, which allows flexibility and quick reaction. On the other hand side, I have spoken to officials in coordination units of the lender, and they claim that the next time or during the second wave or whatever will happen, they would really wish the federal government to take a more dominant position, which I found astonishing. And for myself, being a full-blooded federalist, this is funny to say that, but I think in terms of prevention measures that have proven to be effective, like wearing protective masks, for example, and social distancing, it would be easier for a country like Germany and also for other federal countries if such kind of regulations were given uniformly by the central government. The Australia case highlights that the ability of subnational units to act autonomously can be helpful, as is more intense communication between governments. There are a couple of lessons I would draw. One is to recognise and respect those situations where unity and coordination is not required where it's quite fine for the jurisdictions to go their own way and do their own thing, where it may be beneficial. In a lot of federations, there's a natural tendency to dislike that, to be uncomfortable with that. But that's what federalism is about, and that can be, in a situation like this, one of its great strengths. When we're talking about containing the spread of a pandemic, things like closed borders and very differential policy responses according to the extent of, and the virulence of the problem make a lot of sense. So 
giving federalism leeway to operate in its traditional way, I think, is one of the lessons out of this. As a footnote to that, it's worth saying there are many other instances where there's a premium on coordination, where the need is very different. But in this sort of situation, that's not the case. The second lesson, I think, coming out of it is that something like National Cabinet is called for, is very useful, and can be very effective. That is to up the frequency and intensity and reduce the formality of intergovernmental relations. So an environment and a framework where first ministers are working together much more. And National Cabinet had one of the characteristics of a cabinet, which was that it was something occurring behind closed doors and where real discussion could take place. So I think that, you know, that's probably a good example coming out of the Australian experience. And so... How would our experts summarise the intergovernmental relations and policy coordination in their respective countries during the COVID pandemic? They create an intense dialogue and broad consensus, even if processes take long, and thus I think they are a role model for other multilateral states. Effective management of a crisis through rebalanced federalism. was Forum Fedcast. A big thank you to our guests, Professor Natalie Benker and Professor Alan Fenn. We want to hear from you. Get in touch with the podcast by emailing podcast at forumfed.org. That's podcast at forumfed.org. For more on policy coordination and IGR in federations, as well as federalism, multi-level governance, and much more, check out our website at forumfed.org. You can find us at ForumFed on Twitter and as Forum of Federations on Facebook and YouTube. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Liam Whittington, with production support from Asma's Reading. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Forum Fedcast.